0: As we noted last week, this season of Advent marks the beginning of a new church year. New beginnings give us opportunities to think about not just who we are, but who we long to be. As a church, our values are to be grounded, growing, and generous followers of Jesus Christ. And in the coming year, we're going to focus particularly on what it means for us to be grounded. This Advent, we are in a sermon series called From Generation to Generation, considering how our connection with those who have gone before us helps us to be grounded in what it means to be children of God. We are receiving support in this series from A Sanctified Art, a group of Presbyterian ministers who create artwork and liturgy and music for worship. Last week in worship, we heard the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel, a genealogy that lists 42 of Jesus' ancestors, all the way from Abraham up to his parents, Joseph and Mary. It's a list containing a few names we might not expect in a Jewish genealogy, including some women and even non-Jews. Today, Matthew goes from that wide panoramic view of Jesus' ancestry and moves to a tight close-up of one individual, Joseph, Jesus' father by adoption. Hear now this reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him; he took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> In Alaska, there is a visitor center that was originally built to showcase one of Alaska's largest and most beautiful glaciers. It was built with a whole wall of windows facing the glacier and then huge curtains that could be pulled to cover the windows. It used to be that when a group of tourists arrived at the center, they would gather in a group in front of the windows and someone would teach them about the formation of this glacier. And then, at just the right moment, the curtains would dramatically part, revealing this magnificent sheet of ice for all to see. The windows are still there in this center, but instead of a glacier... Now, when the curtains part, visitors see a lake of water, which came from the glacier melting. Today, we heard Becca read Isaiah's dramatic proclamation. That's like a buildup before the curtains part. Look, Isaiah says, here is your God. God will come. God will come and save you. But then in our second reading, it's like the curtains open and instead of this transformation that Isaiah described, we see the equivalent of a lake where a glacier used to be. A young man full of fear and despair. The woman he's supposed to marry is pregnant. He knows he's not the father. Now in their culture, engagement itself was a contractual agreement, like a marriage, so he will have to officially break their contract. No matter how quietly he does this, it's a small town. People are going to know, and people are going to talk. Then, in the middle of what we can imagine, are one of many nights of fitful sleep, Joseph has a dream in which an angel of the Lord speaks to him, and essentially repeats those words of Isaiah, be strong, do not fear. Look, here is your God. God is coming to save you and the whole world. When Joseph wakes up, that dream has not changed his reality. Mary is still pregnant, and Joseph is now the young man being asked to stake his reputation on a dream this story reminds us that the promises of God look different up close, especially when they are applied to the complicated, unplanned events of our lives. As Joseph's hopes for his future crumbled, he receives this promise from God, a promise that is for us too, and it goes something like this. It's not the way you thought I would come, but I am coming to be with you, to be one of you, to save you and the world. Years ago, an article in the Christian Century described these weeks leading up to Christmas as the numbing season a season of parties and gift buying and decorating, of commerce and consumerism and visits to family. This year, we add the weight of expectation of our first holiday in three years not shrouded in anxiety over new COVID variants, as well as the fatigue that has come from a difficult fall when other viruses have been rampant. The writer of the numbing season concludes, no wonder many of us are likely to dread Christmas almost as much as we look forward to it. If you think this sounds like an exaggeration, I can tell you that in my experience as a pastor, it's not. This time of year, pastors often hear comments like, I just can't get into the holiday spirit this year. This season is just too painful since, and here you can fill in the blank, since my loved one died, since I lost my job, since the diagnosis, since my relationship fell apart. When we make Christmas only about parties and gifts and joy and celebration, we can easily become overwhelmed by everything that isn't merry and shiny and bright in our lives. This is why Advent provides such a welcome antidote. It reminds us that Christmas is as much about waiting for God in the midst of pain and despair as it is about preparing for the perfect holiday celebration. And in the midst of Advent, Joseph shows us one way we can respond when the future we had planned falls apart and the map we have been using leads us to a destination that no longer exists. Joseph offers us a way to respond even when we are afraid and angry, and overwhelmed by life's unexpected turns. Scott Black Johnston is the pastor of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. He has just published a new book called Elusive Grace, Loving Your Enemies While Striving for God's Justice. He says he wrote this book to clarify what resources resources our Christian tradition has for helping us understand and respond to the deep current of anger that is all around us and that is sometimes even in us. It is no surprise, of course, that we feel angry when we are faced with events and circumstances that make us feel afraid and helpless and out of control. But it's also no secret that this anger can end up spiraling in ways that are hurtful and unproductive. In his book, Johnston writes, In the heat of the moment, anger can feel good, but its lasting effects are caustic. Anger will betray you. It will eat away at your relationships, your integrity, and the very fabric of your community. Scripture repeatedly describes God as slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Apostle Paul counsels people to let go of their anger by the end of every day. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, he writes in his letter to Ephesians, and give no opportunity to the devil. Can you imagine for a moment the anger Joseph must have felt when he heard the news that his fiancée was pregnant? Can you imagine how that anger might have been stoked when he heard her claims that she got pregnant not in the usual way, but by divine intervention? The easiest thing for Joseph to do would have been to give in to his anger, and maybe for a while he did. But something in him, something Matthew calls righteousness, causes him to change his mind he decides to take the high road and end their engagement quietly rather than making her betrayal public. Now, we can imagine that in some ways, breaking off their engagement would have been easier than to do what the angel of the Lord instructs Joseph to do. Declining to publicly shame Mary is one thing, but agreeing to take her as his wife after everything that has happened That is something else entirely. That is something that requires Joseph to swallow his pride, even his righteousness, and to choose again and again, day after day, moment to moment, that elusive thing called grace. It requires him to draw near to Mary, to care for her and the child in her womb, to do the hard work of being in relationship with someone who has hurt you deeply. The television series, Reservation Dogs, is about a group of teenagers living on a Native American reservation who are trying to beg, borrow, earn, or steal enough money to move to California after the death by suicide of their dear friend. In one episode, the characters Bear and Alora are angry at each other Alora is angry that Bear keeps squandering their hard-earned money on what she deems trivial expenses, so angry that when she gets a chance to go to California with a member of their rival gang, she leaves without even saying goodbye. Bear is deeply hurt. Then, one afternoon, a week or so after she's left, he hears knocking on his window and, to his surprise, sees Alora standing outside. His anger rises immediately, and he begins yelling at her for abandoning him until he finally sees she is crying. "'What is it?' he asks. "'It's my grandma,' Alora says. "'She's dying.' For the rest of the episode, we see what happens when a member of this tight-knit community is transitioning from life to death. The small house where Laura has lived with her grandmother since her own mother died fills to overflowing with family and friends, each of whom shows up with some kind of food People take turns going into the bedroom where the dying woman lies, and everyone else tells stories and shares memories and plays games and makes sure everyone has enough to eat. Alora moves between her grandmother's bedside and the kitchen, and Bear keeps a close eye on her. It's clear he feels awkward. The tension between them isn't yet resolved. And clearly, there are some hard conversations they will need to have. But for now, he chooses to be present for his friend in her time of need, as her grandmother lies dying. He chooses to set aside his anger and draw near to her in compassion and love. According to Johnston, as children of God working for the redemption of the world, the thing that motivates us, the thing that puts a bounce in our step and juice in our veins is not anger. It is love. Yes, these weeks leading up to Christmas can be a numbing season when we want to give in to the temptation to embrace the bright and shiny side of Christmas and set everything else aside. Joseph shows us another way, a different path to follow when we discover that life isn't going as we hoped or planned. It's the way of drawing closer to the people in our lives, even those who've hurt us. It's the way of holding on to God's promises, even when they seem far fetched or impossible. It's the way of grace instead of anger, the way of love instead of fear. Joseph's way makes for a different kind of holiday season, for sure. One that might be a little less cheerful, but a lot more honest. And it's a way that leads us to a house overflowing with people who understand pain and sorrow. To a table where everyone is invited to come as they are and where God feeds us all to a place of true peace where Jesus, our Prince of Peace, gathers up all the broken, fragmented pieces of our lives and our world and glues them together with love until we are all made whole. It leads to a place where we get to pull open the curtain and proclaim the good news of Emmanuel. God is with us. God is coming. God is here. Amen.